Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. We have a lot to get into today, but I want to hear from you guys. Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N. E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is how you listen to us. And guys, March Madness is here. Oh, yes, it is. Don't tell me that it's not because I know a lot of people believe that March Madness is only the tournament. Oh, no, it's not. You know that it's not because we've been talking about the lower conferences for quite some time. And that is what we're looking at today. Some of these lower conferences and some of the conferences that are going to be start uh, starting up all day Saturday, Sunday, and into the following week. We have some interesting stuff going on. Look, you have the Patriot League tournament where Navy was steamrolling. I mean, Navy is a team um, that needs to be discussed for just a moment here because they're 15 and two. They have been rolling right along. They play a Loyola team that now they're going to play, be playing for the third time. The last three games, they have one loss, which was to army in overtime. And they have one loss in week two against Maryland where they got crushed. Okay. That's at Maryland. I'm willing to forgive that. After that, you look at their schedule, they're rolling up. Oh, man, yeah, 15 wins. But whoa, 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 From a spread perspective, let's take a look here. They only beat Loyola by six. They beat them by eight. They beat American by nine. They turn around, you go, oh, I talked about the, the overtime loss. They only beat Army by seven before that. Another overtime win against American. They struggle with Lehigh beating them by eight. Struggle with Bucknell only beat them by three. Uh, they did beat Georgetown, beat them by seven. Mount St. Mary's by six. George Washington by seven. What you're seeing here is that Navy's a very good team. But oftentimes what happens early on, especially in these smaller conference tournaments, are people just look at records. And if you just look at records, you're going to be in some trouble here. You're going to certainly be in some trouble when you look at these smaller conferences. How about the Patriot League? You know, the Patriot League, you turn around and you look at uh, things like Colgate. Colgate's 11-1. and one. How do you really judge a Colgate team? The Colgate Raiders are 11-1. and one. one loss came in Week 2 by 2 to Army. If not, we'd be talking about an undefeated season. And they really, you know, kind of should be an undefeated team. Here's the team, and this is what they've done now. They just won their last game by 15, by 10 before that, by 15 before that, by 10, by 10, by 18, uh, by 9, by 40, by 45, by 7, go back by 43, an army before they came back and lost that game. Guys, there's one game here. Really, two games if you include the the the, the overtime game. There's, even though they won that game by 11, it went into overtime. But so you want to talk about it? Let's talk about Colgate. One game since January 3rd been decided by less than double digits. Even when they went into overtime, they actually covered the double digits. So Colgate's a team I'm looking at and I'm saying, all right, Colgate makes a lot of sense to me. You know, Colgate's that team that I'm kind of circling and saying, yeah, they, they could do some damage. So you start to look at some of these other lower conferences, and we could start to pick out some some interesting stuff. Hey, you guys know I like my America East, so let's talk about it. Vermont is the team I'm rolling with. They are first in the conference. They have not had a Vermont-type season. And a Vermont-type season is pretty much rolling over everyone, crushing everybody, covering spreads, and winning by 30. I mean, that's what Vermont does. But here's the reality. They lost three of their first five games. Since then, they've only lost once. 
they have played basically a shortened schedule uh, because of the COVID. They've only played 14 games all year. But let's see what happened. Look, they had cancellation on the 19th of December. Cancellation on the 20th of December. Finally played on the 21st, lost that game. I'm willing to forgive that. No big deal. They came back the next night, and they won against the same team. All right. Then the next week, they won, and then they lost in overtime. So they beat the same team. They beat them by 15, nice, comfortable, lost in overtime. Again, two overtimes, I should say, and lost by a point in two overtimes. I'm willing to forgive that loss. Now you go to Albany. Albany at home, this is a bad loss. It was only a one-point loss, but it's still a bad loss. Came back the next night, uh, literally the next night, and beat them by eight. Nice, comfortable win. Now they've gone down and they lost their last game of the season. I don't think they really cared about the game. I'm being honest. Look, I had the game circle. I don't think they cared to beat UMBC. They've already secured the number one overall seed. They really didn't care to be in that game. UMBC was at home. I don't think they cared at all. So when you're starting to look at Vermont, I'm going, all right, look, they had one loss here. That was after a three-day delay, their first game of the season. Easily forgivable. They had a 1.2 overtime loss. Easily forgivable. They had a one-point loss after that. Again, one-point losses, I'm forgiving. And then a game at the end of the year where they didn't care. Guys, I think Vermont is going to go through this conference like hot butter. Which is my opinion. I've always been on Vermont. I think this is one of those years where they are vastly, vastly underrated. Let's take a look at some of these other conferences here. How about the SoCon Conference where you have Eastern Tennessee at Chattanooga? This is a conference that's got some big boys in it. Chattanooga is sitting in fourth with 18 wins, just to give you an idea. Okay. But, uh, you know, you look at Eastern Tennessee State. Last time these two two teams met up, you're looking at unders galore. Last time these two teams met up, it was 104 total points. Before that, 122 total points. Guys, I'm looking at unders here from two teams that most people look at as scoring teams. So that's something to peek at. All this is on Saturday. I'm taking a look. Let's talk about uh, the smaller conferences in the Patriot League I paid attention to. I personally like the American East. The American East has done very well by me over the course of my career. If you've listened to me, you guys have made money in the American East. You do have the Summit League with South Dakota State uh, is going up against an Omaha. Yeah, sure, that should be generally a pushover. We do have the CAA Championship first round. That's going to be coming, and you have the William & Marys of the world, UNC Wilmingtons. Uh, but we know the, the big boys in that conference. I want to point out in the Sun Belt Conference, Texas State's defense is something to pay attention to. I've given it as a best bet. If you guys listen to the best bet segments all week long, I've given them as a best bet on the unders. Look. They've allowed their last three games, 57, 49, and 52. You have a 68 before that, a 57, 67 in overtime, a 47. They just absolutely turn around and just hold teams down. Their offense is solid. It's not good. I'm not going to say it's bad. Their offense is solid, but what they do is they produce unders galore. So I'm going to be looking at them, and I'm going to be looking at unders for sure in those games. Uh, You start to look at what spots you could grab. Then we go to Sunday, and we get into Sunday, and you have uh, Hofstra, Delaware. This is not a usual CAA season. I can tell you that. Look, Hofstra's in third place in the CAA. That is a team that is usually really good. They've lost three out of the last five games. You start to look at that conference and go, you know, I think it's kind of a coin flip. And that's okay. It's okay to kind of stay away. I want to give you uh, teams to stay away from as much as teams to kind of jump on top of. James Madison is 
for most of the season was the elite of this conference. They're only 13-6, and six, but they are the elite of the conference. Well, here's why. Because James Madison started the season, they lost to Norfolk State, they lost to Eastern Carolina, they lost to VCU, they lost to Morgan State. Since getting into conference play, they've lost two games. But they really, I mean, who have they really beaten up on? Sure, they beat Hofstra twice. Uh, they, they did away with Drexel and Townsend once. I, I get it. Drexel, they came back and they lost to. I think the CAA is absolutely wide open. If you're looking for somebody to take that in a conference that has a weak number one, James Madison is a weak number one here. Oral Roberts, North Dakota, they're going to get the Summit League going on uh, Sunday as well. And uh, like I mentioned, that Drexel team will take on Charleston. They're playing uh, good basketball right now, Drexel, even though their numbers don't really exactly uh, throw that out there. Then we go to Monday, and you start to get into a little bit bigger of the conferences, and you start to get into um, the championship semifinals between Cleveland State and Milwaukee. You get into the Oakland's Northern Kentucky, and then, of course, we start to get into the West Coast Conference. The West Coast Conference, guys, is it anybody but Gonzaga? I mean, is is this one of the more sure bets? Sure. Gonzaga's going to roll over teams, but how do you really turn around and take Gonzaga against anyone. The lines are going to be ridiculous. I like what they did early in the season. They beat Kansas. They beat Auburn. They beat West Virginia. They beat Iowa. They beat Virginia. That's all out of conference. Since getting into conference, it has just been an absolute beat down of epic proportions. It's it's 20 points every night. I mean, they're beating teams by 20 points seemingly every night. The problem is, is that where is the spread going to be on Gonzaga? It's going to be massively inflated. It's going to be sitting there into that 25-30 point range. Now, BYU is probably the second best team in that conference. And BYU right now, they stand second in the West Coast Conference. Is BYU a team that you want to go out there and bet on? Look... They've won. I'm not telling you that they haven't won. And they, But this is a team that is winning in almost as impressive fashion. Now, they lost to Gonzaga, sure. They have a three-point loss to Pepperdine, which throws you off. But they've had three losses, guys, since December 12th. Two of them are to Gonzaga. One of them is on the road by three points to a Pepperdine team. I'm okay with that. Even if you want to talk about all their losses all year long, their full five losses, you go back, they lost to a number five, uh, top 25 USC team, they, they got crushed, but they lost that. And a, a good Boise State team. So I'm looking at this conference, and I'm saying, wait a minute. They crushed St. Mary's by 14. They destroyed Loyola by 17. They beat Pacific uh, by 27. They beat Portland by 45. These are their most recent games. So when I'm looking at the WCC, I'm saying to myself, you know, you have a Gonzaga that people are going to want to bet. They're going to go crazy on this team. They're going to absolutely just uh, load up and try to dominate. And go, oh, yeah, this is it. Here, here it goes. I'm just going to go crazy. When BYU probably offers more value, and they're beating teams by a bigger margin. They really are beating teams by that huge margin. So BYU from a betting, I don't think BYU beats Gonzaga. Look, they already lost to him twice. I think Gonzaga is the best team in the country. I don't know if Gonzaga loses a game for the rest of the year. Okay? I tend to think that they don't. I told you that before the season. I thought Gonzaga was going to absolutely roll over this year. That was a, My entire college basketball preview was about Gonzaga just crushing this team. But I think from a betting perspective, BYU offers more of a buying opportunity. I don't believe in anybody in this conference. Loyola, Pepperdine, uh, Pacific. I mean, Pepperdine, look, they beat them by three. I don't see it happening. And St. Mary's is a team that you want to be good. They just are missing something. Santa Clara, San Fran, San Diego, Portland. It's a, it's a down division, of course. 
But BYU people aren't paying attention. They are crushing teams. I think they're going to get some favorable lines, and that makes some sense for their favorable lines. Looking at some of these other uh, conferences when we're taking a look, um, I think that Sam Houston State, Stephen F. Austin, Abilene Christian, and Nichols, that is a good conference. It's kind of a coin flip conference, but the Southland is getting really interesting. You look at the Southern Conference. Wolford's a name everyone knows, but don't discount Furman. Don't overlook Chattanooga. Eastern Tennessee is another team, and UNC Greensboro. One of the conferences I absolutely uh, just want to concentrate on here. And this is the Belmont Bruins. Belmont, Moorhead, Eastern Kentucky looks like they are on a mission. Jacksonville State is even sort of in the conversation. Belmont is 18-2 and two on the year, but they've lost two games back-to-back. How much do you believe uh, that Belmont isn't the team that maybe we thought they were? I've made a ton of money on Belmont for the last two years. Uh, with a new coach. I made a massive ton of money on Belmont for the last 15 years with their old coach. Belmont is a really good underrated team. I am not backing off of my stance that Belmont is the clear best team in this country, in, in, in this conference at all. I know they just lost to Eastern Kentucky. Let's be honest, that was on the road in a game where Eastern Kentucky had everything to play for. Belmont, even with all these losses, still first in the OVC. Moorhead State, very similar situation. It took overtime, but they beat Belmont. Okay, they put up 89 points on them. By the way, Eastern Kentucky put eight up 81. They put up 89 points on Belmont, but it was on the road. Moorhead State was sitting in their beautiful house, going, "Oh, it doesn't matter." And Belmont had nothing to lose here. I know it blemishes their record, but guys, they're still first in the OVC. Now let's talk about what they did when when. We're looking at the full season, and you're talking about, okay, Belmont. Look, Belmont was crushing teams. They played good offense. They played good defense. Before the back-to-back 80s, they had held two of the last three opponents to under 60 points. Moorhead State scored 89 just last Saturday. Moorhead State, guys, on February 13th, we're talking about 14 days earlier, scored 58. Do I think it was a fluke? Hell yeah, I think it was a fluke. Eastern Kentucky beat them up, scoring 81 at home against Belmont. Just 14 days before that, they lost by 18 and let up 92 to Belmont. Do I think those games were a fluke? Yeah, I think they were a fluke. So this is my roundabout long way of saying that I think Belmont comes in a little underrated. I think Belmont's going to be a team that is going to be a, a little overlooked. Now, Eastern Kentucky's playing well, and you look at the winning streaks, right? And you go, oh, yeah, look at look at all these winning streaks that are in this conference. And you look at the two. And the two next to Belmont, they lost two in a row. Morehead State's won four. Eastern Kentucky's won three. Jacksonville State's even won three. But, guys, I see it more as fluky than anything else. I don't buy into Moorhead or Eastern Kentucky's wins at all. I think they were at home and playing a Belmont team that really, truly could care less. I don't think they could care. What, what, what did they have to gain other than saying, you know what, well, we, we ended the season with uh, one or two losses instead of two or three losses. Uh, they had nothing really to gain. So on the road, not a lot to gain. I don't care. Belmont, to me, is still the premier team in that conference. Belmont is a team that I still believe not only for the conference. I'm looking at the big picture. I'm looking at the big tournament picture. And to me, the big tournament picture also says, you know what? Belmont's a team to watch. Here's a 
conference that I touched on quickly, and that's a Colonial Athletic, where you have real no no powerhouse here. There's no team that's really above anyone else. Hofstra has the experience. Uh, Charleston's been there a lot. Northeastern's been playing really well. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they lost two in a row. I, this is one of those kind of just stay away. Can we just stay away from this tournament? Is, is there a, a way to do that? And then we go to a conference that I really am pretty steeped in, and that's the Mountain West Conference. I'm steeped in this because I do a lot of uh, radio in Las Vegas for over a decade now. So we talk about UNLV a lot. This is a conference that last year kind of got screwed because Nevada was so good and San Diego State's that team this year. With 19 wins, they look really good. But you know what? Colorado State is right on their tail. In conference, they're tied. Colorado State is probably a conference team. I know they only have 16 wins. They're probably a tournament team. Utah State right behind them with 16 wins, only half a game back. Boise State has 18 wins, only a game back. Uh, Nevada is right there. I mean, they could get into this thing. UNLV under 500, but you know what? It's going to be basically, hey, guys, it's on their home floor. So the Mountain West Conference tournament is going to be interesting. I don't believe in UNLV. I know it's always their home floor, and it's always that. I don't buy into them. But I could see any one of Nevada, Boise, Utah, Colorado, or San Diego State winning this thing. And you're going to get some pretty good odds. Sort of like the James Madison situation where there is no really predominant favorite here. I know San Diego State holds a top 25 tag. And San Diego State has been good for so long that I think people are going to look at San Diego State and they're going to say, okay, look, first in the Mountain West Conference, top 25 team, sure, I'm buying in. And they really have done well in conference. But guys, let's look at the numbers here. They beat Boise by four. They beat Boise in overtime the game before that. Now, they beat up on Fresno State. I'm not worried about that in San Jose State. Those are two kind of pushovers, even Wyoming and Air Force. The last time they had to face a real team, Utah State, they lost back-to-back. Then they beat Nevada by five and and, and by two. So let's go here, okay? Let, let's look at who their competition in this conference. Colorado State, win and a loss, split the conference. Utah State. Lost both games. Boise State, four-point win and win in overtime. And Nevada, win by five, win by two. San Diego State's a team that, look, everyone's going to be on. They're all going to take this team. The lines are going to be pretty inflated because they see a top 25 team playing number one overall in the conference. But, guys, I think we're going to be able to get real good prices here. Not only for the tournament itself. I'm not only talking about the tournament itself. I'm talking about game in and game out that we're going to be able to see Nevada getting more points than they should, Boise State getting more points than they should, Utah State getting more points than they should, and Colorado State getting more points than they should. I think it's fair to say this. Every single Mountain West Conference tournament game that San Diego State plays this year, I'll be taking the points in every single matchup. I'll be taking the other team. I'll be taking the points against all of these teams, Colorado State, Utah State, Boise State, Nevada. And I may throw some money on one of these teams to win it all because I don't believe San Diego State is that powerful a team. They've struggled against upper competition. They've barely won, split, lost twice to Utah State. These are not good trends to have for a team that is a top 25 ranked team, which means they're going to be overinflated by the public, especially a public that doesn't understand the Mountain West. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. Lots more college basketball right after this on Wagering Week. I'm Gary Myers, the host of the podcast, the coach, Tom Brady, and you're listening to Tom Barton on the Sports Garden Network. 
now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? All right, guys, we're going to go to a little golf here, and I have a Masters update. It's starting to get close. It's starting to get there, right? So we're going to start looking ahead. Masters update. DJ is 7-1 to leading the field. Brooks Kepka 12-1. to Rahm is 14-1. to McElroy is 14-1. to DeChambeau, 16-1. to Justin Thomas, 16-1. to Shelfo is 20-1. to Jordan Spieth is 20-1. to Cantlay is 30-1. to Morikawa is 30-1. to Reed's 30-1. to Finau is 30-1. to Hovland, 35-1. to Berger is 40 to 1. Uh, those wondering, Ricky Fowler is 100 to 1. And that is what are the odds? Now, I, I, I like uh, betting on golf, even though I don't love to be that, that golf maven. I'm not a guy that could sit down and kind of just watch golf all day. I know a lot of guys uh, that, that do that. Nothing against it. I just can't do it. Uh, but you can make a lot of money. If you guys remember our show uh, when we we were here a couple of years ago, and I was just crushing Kepka at big odds, uh, just over and over. I, I made a nice nice bankroll on it. But one of the things I want to talk to you about uh, when we were talking about the Masters is that you just don't have to look. This is the headline: Who will win the Masters? Right. But there are a lot of other things you could bet in golf. You could do head to head matchups. You could do top five finishes, top ten finishes. These are all things that you can absolutely take advantage of. And it's something where Golf has the the manipulation aspect. You could manipulate lines. You could kind of find your entrance point in your areas. We speak about this a lot when we're coming out and we're talking about the Super Bowl and you have all the prop plays. And I told you, oh, you can find a prop here and you can find a thing there. Well, in golf, you have a lot of that as well. So one of the guys I just want to throw out, I'm going to throw this out early, is uh, is Hovland. Look, at 35 to 1, I don't love him, okay? But he's finished at the concession uh, at number two, okay? So it was his fourth straight finish of sixth or better. And his sixth straight in his last seven, starting back to November, that he's been in the top six. So to me, him getting into the top 10, you're going to get, if he's 35 to one, and I'm speculating here, uh, but I'm as good a speculation as anybody else, at 35 to one odds to win it all, Right, you figure uh, top three, he's going to be like twenty-five to one, maybe twenty to one at top three. Top five, he's going to be fifteen to twenty-one. Top ten, you're still going to get twelve to one odds, maybe better. Right on him to finish inside the top ten, uh, even if you get ten to one, he's going to be between ten and fifteen to one odds to finish inside the top ten. Heck, I'd even take it at five to one. So he's somebody I'm looking at um, while the Masters update, and I'm looking at who might win it. Sure, that's easy to study and take a look at. He's looking, he's somebody that I'm going, you know what? I see him coming inside the top 10. You know, finishing consistently inside the grouping, having a 35 to 1 to win it all is a guy that I'm absolutely going to be taking a look at. Murray Cow is somebody at 30 to 1. People are going to love him. Jordan Spieth, everybody always goes on him at 21. I'm not on it. Justin Thomas, 16-1. to 1. I guess that's interesting. DeChambeau, you know he's got his his army out there, but I'm not a huge DeChambeau guy. McElroy at 14-1 to 1 will certainly get some money. Rom at 14-1 to 1 might be playing as well as anybody right now. Johnson, 7-1 to 1 is, the, is the preeminent favorite, and Mkeka as 12-1. to 1. I don't see an entry point here. Potentially Reed at 30-1, to 1, potentially, will be on my radar, but we have some time, and, and we'll talk about that more then. All right, guys, let's get back into uh, the basketball a little bit here. I I just want to mention one conference uh, left, and the conference I want to really dive into is the ACC. And I want to dive into the ACC 
because it's not the normal ACC this year. And the ACC conference tournament is going to be uh, not like we, we can ever remember, really. I mean, when was the last time you remember that Duke needs to win the conference tournament to make the tournament? When was the last time that you remember that you could say, you know what, North Carolina needs a good showing. If they're one and done, they probably won't make the tournament. Syracuse, they kind of have to win it all to make the tournament, right? I mean, this is what we're looking at. Louisville, got to win it all. So Louisville, Syracuse, and Duke, I believe they have to win the ACC tournament to make the big tournament. It's a big ask. I could be wrong here. We know Florida State, Virginia, and VTech are in. Okay, they're all top 25 teams. We know that they're in. I, I think the committee probably finds a way to get North Carolina in. But I, I think they need one more win. I, I do. And it's not asking a lot, but okay. So we'll say that's four teams. Where's the 5-6? Is it Clemson? You know, I think Clemson needs at least one more. I mean, they won five in a row. Clemson needs one more. Georgia Tech... They've won five in a row. I think they're a game behind here. So I'm trying to find that 5-6 number, and I'm having a hard time finding it. Duke has to win this whole thing. The one thing is for sure, Syracuse might squeak in if, they, let's say, they get to the finals. Georgia Tech, if they get to the finals, might squeak in. Clemson with a win probably squeaks in. Louisville is kind of behind the eight ball here. I think Louisville and Duke have to win the ACC tournament to make it to the big tournament. That's going to be my, 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 my platform here. Louisville and Duke have to win it all. Syracuse has to get... Syracuse and Georgia Tech have to get to the finals, I think. I think they have to get to the final game. North Carolina just has to win one game. Clemson, I, I think Clemson probably has to win just one game, too. So North Carolina and Clemson probably have to win just one game. Georgia Tech-Syracuse to get into the big tournament, I think they got to get to the finals. And Louisville, Duke have to win it all. They have to win it all. I mean, Duke has the argument that, look, we beat Virginia, sure. But Virginia isn't what Virginia once was. Virginia's barely a top 25 team right now, guys. That hurts Duke. So the ACC, and this is why I'm talking about the ACC, which is always the powerhouse league. I mean, ACC is powerhouse, powerhouse. We know what it is. And the ACC is the ACC. But it's not this year. The ACC has three teams inside the top 25 as of me speaking right now. Three teams inside the top 25, and Virginia and Virginia Tech are, are borderline falling out of that top 25. Florida State isn't really a top 10 team. They're borderline top 10 team. So it's not that dynamic ACC, which usually has Virginia's a top 5 team, North Carolina's a top 10 team, Duke's a top 5 team. You usually have two top 5 teams, three teams pushing for the top 10. Then you have like a Louisville-Florida State inside the top 15. You got five ranked teams, you know, maybe six. So then you could make an argument, well, it's a tough conference for the Clemsons, Georgia Techs of the world. Syracuse is barely hanging on to that top 25. That's usually what we're talking about. This year you have three teams that are good in the ACC. Three teams that are sure to make the tournament in the ACC. Two of them are barely hanging on to a top 25 spot. Virginia Tech, they're a top 25 team. They only have 15 wins. I know they only play 20 games. I get that, but... I, I still think that the ACC, being the ACC, probably gets six teams in, maybe five, six teams in. Florida State, Virginia, Virginia Tech are in. I do believe North Carolina gets in, but I, I, I'm, I'm sticking with my original statement. I think they got to win one game here. I think Clemson gets in, but I think they got to win one round game. And that leaves uh, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Louisville, and Duke. The, the idea with Duke is this, 
just look down Duke's schedule. First of all, they only have 11 wins. 11 total wins on the year. And don't tell me it's because they played a little bit of games because they're 11 and 10. They're barely over 500 on the season. Duke has, uh, you know, North Carolina, 6 o'clock Saturday night. They they have to win that game to even give me a glimpse of they don't have to win the ACC tournament. Look, they beat North Carolina in North Carolina, okay? And on their resume, they have um, some decent losses, but they're losses, Right. They lost to Illinois. They lost to Michigan State. Uh, where Where's the win? You know, they, they lost to Virginia Tech. There's not a win there. They've beaten Boston College. They've beaten Wake Forest. They've beaten Georgia Tech. They've beaten Clemson, North Carolina State, Wake Forest. You got the Virginia. They beat Syracuse. They don't have the resume, guys. It's just, it just, just no path. The only path to me is beat North Carolina, go through the tournament, and then set up a matchup against a, an opponent that you're allowed to lose to. And when I say an opponent that you're allowed to lose to, if they lose to a top 10 ranked Florida State for the ACC tournament, pad their stats where they're able to win three, four games here, including North Carolina on the road, and maybe they squid. Does the tournament committee squeak them in because they're Duke? Potentially, sure. I, I mean, I, I could see that happening. I, I just I think it's a hard row. I think Duke is out. Louisville's in a very similar situation. Now, Louisville has played a lot better in conference play. Louisville's 13-5. and five. They've only lost five games this year. But find me the big wins for Louisville. I mean, I'll wait. Where's the big wins? Because I see Georgia Tech. I see Notre Dame. I see Duke twice. I see Wake Forest. I see Boston College. I see Kentucky. Not a big win. Pitt, not a big win. Western Kentucky, Prairie View, Evansville. Now, they beat Seton Hall. I mean, is that their big win? So they have one big win on the year. That is at home against Virginia Tech, a team that, oh, by the way, um, is sitting here and potentially not going to be a top 25 team. Now, they do have Virginia here. They have Virginia on Saturday. And if they beat Virginia and then have a decent showing, all of a sudden, I think that they might be in. So this is kind of where we're, we're looking where you're going to need a bump and then do something. Louisville and Duke, my opinion is this. I just don't think either one of them make it. I don't think either one of them can make enough noise. Let's talk about Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is a team that's won five games in a row. Georgia Tech, Yellow Jackets, 14-8. Uh, and eight. They're fourth in the ACC. A lot of their losses were front-loaded losses. They lost three of their first five games. So three of their eight losses came in the first uh, you know, week or, or week and a half of the first season. But they did lose big games. They did lose games to Virginia, which they could have beaten. They did lose games to that Louisville team. They lost two games to Virginia, by the way. Lost to Clemson. Their wins here, they did beat Clemson once. They did beat Florida State. That's a big resume builder. They did beat VTech. And that's why I think Georgia Tech has a chance here. I think Georgia Tech's got to win some more games, though. That's for sure. But they have, at least on their ledger, look, we beat Florida State. We beat VTech. We've beaten some big teams. Clemson is in a similar situation. Now, I think Clemson probably gets in, right? They are 15-5. and five. I think they probably get in. But again, let's take a look at some of the quote-unquote big wins for Clemson and where do we kind of find them. Beating Louisville it doesn't look like a big win anymore, right? I mean, at all. Now, they beat Florida State early in the season. That's a notch. They beat Alabama. That's two top 15 teams. You could even say two top 10 teams, okay? So 
all of a sudden Clemson's resume starts to get a little bit built uh, because of that Alabama win. I think Clemson and Georgia Tech are right on the precedent. You know, they're teams that they're right there. I I don't want to say that this could push them over because they might get in by just a decent showing here because it is the ACC. But I believe they need a little bit of help. How about Syracuse? Syracuse is another team. I think that they got to finish out strong here. 14 wins is not inspiring me at all. They did beat North Carolina, which is a nice win, and they beat them recently, so people will remember that. They did beat Virginia Tech. Okay, that's a nice win. Out of conference, man, they lost to Rutgers, and they didn't do much other than that. This is a team in Syracuse that I think needs to have a good tournament. And then let's go to uh, the the teams that, to me, are surely in, right? Florida State, Virginia, Virginia Tech. To me, they're in. And I think I think North Carolina's in. I said they have to win a game in the tournament. I think they're in. They have 15 wins right now, okay? And by the way, they are North Carolina. They just beat Florida State last week. Everybody's going to remember that. That's a game that you absolutely will remember. You turn around and you go, you know what? How, how much does that impact you? Well, if you're North Carolina and you win that game, that helps. Now they have Duke coming up. If they beat Duke here, and I know Duke's not good, but it doesn't matter. That gives them 16 wins. They beat Florida State as their resume builder. They're coming from the ACC. That's big. I still think that they have to get to that 17-18 win plateau for them to be forced in. So there's only three teams to me that are surely in. It's all because they're basically all top 25 teams. And that is Virginia Tech, Virginia, and of course, Florida State. Virginia Tech is an interesting team because they got some nice wins and they got some big-time losses. Villanova, nice win. You can't take that away from them. They beat Clemson early on. That's a nice win for sure. Um, They beat Virginia. Oh, that's a nice win as well. But they do have some losses against teams that are uninspiring. Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, Louisville, Penn State, teams that they're kind of head-to-head with. But I tend to think that Virginia Tech is safe. What seed are they going to get? I don't think they're going to get a high seed. I mean, to me, Virginia Tech is uh, almost a perfect five seed that goes down in the first round, right? Potentially, they could land into that four spot. And even then, I think they're a first-round exit kind of team. Virginia, uh, here's a team. Before the year, I picked them as a Final Four team. I like Virginia. I like their style. I love their coaching. They have fallen apart. Absolutely fallen apart. Now, they lost to Gonzaga, sure. They lost to San Fran early in the season. I don't care. I'm, I'm pushing that aside. No, nobody cares about that at all. They really Look, if you care about that, you don't know what you're talking about. They beat Clemson in Clemson. That's a nice win. Okay? Um, they beat North Carolina, but they lost now to Florida State, Duke, North Carolina State, three of the last four. They have Louisville here on the road. They're kind of falling apart. They're going to make the tournament. But all of a sudden, where is this Virginia team? Virginia team that was looking at a one or a two seed, all of a sudden is looking at a four or a five seed. Virginia looking at a four or a five seed is a dangerous spot for this team. They've got to right the ship. I think the Louisville game is very important. And then you have Florida State. And Florida State is a team that is vastly underrated year after year. They're finally starting to get their due. They lost early to UCF in a ridiculous game, and then they got beat on the road against Clemson. They lost at Georgia Tech, and they lost at North Carolina. Well, what do we know about Leonard Hamilton? Leonard Hamilton, for his career, it's very simple. Leonard Hamilton cannot win on the road. I'm sorry. Florida State, guys, that's what it is. 
They can't win on the road. Now, they've beaten Virginia, so they have that uh, under their belt. They did beat Clemson at home. They are a team that is first in the ACC. They're hovering around the top 10 seed. They have to win this tournament and, to me, win it in pretty impressive fashion to even sniff a number one seed. A number two seed, I think that they can earn it. But here's where we start to go into the betting aspect. When we are talking about betting the ACC tournament, guys, I like Florida State. I just told you how uninspiring these teams are. To me, Virginia Tech's not really a threat. Neither is Georgia Tech. Neither is Clemson. I don't think that they're a threat in the ACC tournament. Forget about the Dukes. Forget about the Louisvilles. To me, this is a three-team race. It is Virginia. Can they right the ship? Can they get things right here? And the Virginia Cavs become the Virginia Cavs again? Can Virginia right the ship and be that team? Can North Carolina continue their late-season success? And can Florida State kind of step up? Well, I think North Carolina is good, and they're looking impressive. But at the end of the day, through a tournament, I just still think that the North Carolina that we've known all year will revert back to the North Carolina that we've all known all year. Virginia is falling apart at the seams, and I just don't think that they match up well with a Florida State team who, by the way, blew their doors off because they just have massive offense. So to me, guys, I'll put my money on Florida State to win the ACC tournament. As far as the big show, look, Florida State for years has always had the ability to be a Final Four team, to be a team that might lift that trophy. But Leonard Hamilton, while he is a good regular season coach, is not a very good tournament coach. I certainly think that this is a team that could get past the first weekend. I see them as a Sweet 16 team. As a matter of fact, I see them as an Elite 18. Do I think that they could make the Final Four? Look, I got to see what brackets they're up against. But to me, they're a team that, the ACC tournament is going to tell me everything I need to know about Florida State. I am on the cusp of making them a Final Four team. I'm also on the cusp of saying they're out in the first uh, in the Sweet 16, and they don't even make the Elite Eight. They are a team where the next couple of games is really going to determine what I believe Florida State is. By the way, guys, here are the uh, the dates. Next Sunday, Selection Sunday, March 14th. First four in March 18th, as opposed to... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which it used to be. It's going to switch around here. So first round is March 19th and 20th. Second round is the 20th and 21st. Sweet 16 becomes the 27th and 28th. Elite 8, March 9th, uh, 29th and 30th. The final four will be played on April 3rd. National Championship will be played on April 5th. All right, guys. We're going to take a quick timeout because we're going to talk about the NFL. I know the NFL is into the future. I know that. Right now, we're going to go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. Bet to the future. Well, I'm going to look at the NFC West odds, and what are the West odds looking at? Well, the Rams are the favorite at plus 170. The Niners are sitting there at 2-1. to Seahawks plus 280. And the Cardinals, who just landed J.J. Watt, where are they? 6-1 to odds to win the West. That is bet to the future. Well, guys, I say it facetiously because it is kind of comical that everyone's just going crazy about J.J. Watt to the Cardinals and J.J. Watt to the Cardinals and J.J. Watt to the Cardinals, yet they are still uh, four time, more than four times <laughs> the amount to win their own conference. They are the last team. They are the last team by, the, by more than double the team in front of them. Uh, it, it's ridiculous to think that just J.J. Watt can turn them into just this Super Bowl-laden team. They... Sports books around the country are treating this a little bit differently. 
uh, Murray out there in, in Arizona, uh, I'm sorry, Murray out there in Las Vegas said, we're not moving the odds at all. Points bet lowered it from 45 to 30. Uh, it's it's still just crazy odds. It, and here's my argument. Look, J.J. Watt is a good player. He signs a two-year, $31 million deal, $23 million guaranteed. That's great. He's 32 years old. I think he's got a lot left, okay? They could tell me that his speed has gone down, but he's also been double-teamed. Uh, more than anybody else in the league. He was at the double team at the highest rate in the NFL, so he's got nobody competing against him. J.J. Watt's going to be good on Arizona. J.J. Watt with Chandler Jones is going to be fantastic on Arizona. But Chandler Jones and and J.J. Watt, while they might be great there, they were eighth in adjusted sack rate last year, right? So they had a very good sack rate. It's not like this was a, a position of need. Outside linebacker Hassan Reddick had 13 sacks in 2020. 13 sacks. So they're not going to resign him. So J.J. Watt is basically taking over for somebody with 13 sacks. How much more do you think J.J. Watt is going to do? Let's say he does. Let's say he has a good, a really good year. And J.J. Watt takes over from Reddick. Reddick had 13 sacks. All of a sudden, we bump J.J. Watt up to 15 sacks. 16, you want to, I'll, give you, I'll give you another one, 16 sacks, okay? So they were eighth in sack rate last year. Let's, let's say they get up to sixth. Does that make this 8-8 eight and eight team a Super Bowl team? Absolutely not. Uh, this is not a knock to J.J. Watt. It is a knock to you're replacing a guy with 13 sacks with a guy that might get 15 or 16 if everything clicks. It's a guy that you've decided to bank $31 million on and a position that I don't think you needed. Now, there are some good for the Cardinals here. The Cardinals went 8-8 eight and eight last year, but they had a 9-win uh, point differential. Five one-score games, that's important. Kyler Murray, you think that he's going to step up. They have their running game, their passing game looks good. There's a lot of that. They lost two games because of a bad kicker. They had a big uh, P.I. loss. Uh, okay. But on the other side, here's what you also have. They won a game against the Buffalo Bills on a Hail Mary. That was one of the most ridiculous uh, game endings ever. They didn't deserve to win that game at all. Okay? That would have made them 7-9. and nine. So don't tell me about these kicker things. They also lost a playoff spot to Mitch Trubinsky and the Bears. When they needed it most, they lost that playoff spot. Okay? We also have to talk about the conversation that, that Cliff Kingsbury just isn't a very good coach. That's it. I mean, I said it. He had Patrick Mahomes in college and couldn't win. Now he's got Kyler Murray and this Cardinal team. Well, I think they're pretty good. Really couldn't win. So uh, for me, guys, I'm looking at this and I'm going, the J.J. Watt move for J.J., good deal. I love people going, oh, you know what? Uh, why did he go there? How about $31 million, 23 guaranteed at 32 years old, right? Um, for J.J., it's a good deal if you're going there to pay your stats. If you're going there to win, J.J., you picked the wrong team. Just a couple of news and notes around the NFL. Uh, Brooke Proyer of ESPN is reporting that the Steelers won't re-sign James Conner. I like James Conner, a big James Conner fan. This basically means that the Steelers are going to draft a running back, or they should. But the Steelers are a passing team now. Let's not make no mistake about their idea that they are now a passing team. James Conner couldn't catch the ball out of the backfield. I think that's one of the reasons why he's going down here. Uh, the Steelers are a team that I'm going to be looking at, and I'm going to say, you know what, if they could get a dominant running back 
unders are going to be the way to go with them because they still have that great defense, and I think that they want to run. I think Tomlin wants to run and not leave it in the arms of Big Ben, who's just getting older, as we all are, by every minute. Jaguars, you want to talk about overs? Jaguars, who have good wide receivers in Chark, uh, Chark and uh, I didn't do it. I got to do it. DJ Chark. Doo, 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 doo. All right. They have good receivers in Chark and Chenault. They have a good running back in Robinson. They're going to go get a great quarterback or a potentially great quarterback in Lawrence. They have their coach in Urban Meyer who likes to run up scores. So you think their offense is set, right? Nope. They are reporting now that they are actively pursuing wide receivers. Galladay, Allen Robinson reunion, all of it is on the table. And you ask yourself why. Why is this team going after receivers? Look, we watched this happen in Buffalo. Buffalo three years ago said, we're going all defense. And they got defense, 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 defense. The next year came back. They got nothing but offensive line. Then they went for skill position players last season. And now they're a Super Bowl contender. I think Urban Meyer's doing the same thing. We're going to go full on nothing but offense this year. And then we'll correct the defense next year. I know this is a long-term build, but I want to make sure Lawrence has the weapons because he's my guy. Well, when this happens, we have to start thinking about overs. Overs with Jacksonville early on in the season for sure. And then the last piece of news is Jeff Howers reporting that the Patriots are aggressively scouting the NFL's top draft quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones have all been scouting by this, this Patriots team. And you're going, why? The money isn't the thing. If you're paying a scout, go ahead, go do your due diligence. But why would you waste your time on these guys? Well, here's the thing. In the article that Jeff Howe writes for The uh, Athletic, there is, quote-unquote, a real urgency to find a long-term answer at quarterback. Yeah, no, 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 you know what. Of course there is. Of course there is. We know that. But the Patriots have the number 15th pick. None of these guys are falling. Maybe Mac Jones falls, but none of these guys are probably falling to them. I've said it all along. I think the Patriots have something up their sleeve, even though Bill doesn't wear sleeves. I think they have to have a plan that we don't know about. I can't imagine them going to the season with another retread, with another Andy Dalton or a Cam Newton or a Tyrod Taylor. I don't think they're taking a retread here. And I think they're missing their opportunity for the big boys. Russell isn't coming to New England. They don't have the package. Deshaun Watson, as great as that would be, I don't think he's coming to New England because it's the same conference. And again, the package and the return that they're asking for is outstandingly ridiculous. So I think they're going to miss out on them. So now you're talking about retreads. And the retreads just didn't work out last year. I don't think Bill wants to work with another retread this year. If Bill Belichick goes out there, makes a move, trades number 15 pick and let's say a first-round pick next year, goes out there and gets Justin Fields or Trey Lance, right? And he moves up in the draft to get one of those guys. And the Patriots go 4-12, and but you see the rookie look good. Bill's not going to get a lot of uh, flack, right? Well, I'm starting new with a brand-new quarterback. Here we go, you know. I'm going to build this thing back up again. Just give him glimmers of hope. And I think Bill knows that. He doesn't have to hear it. Oh, go ahead, Brady, you win with the old team. Go ahead, I'm building for the long term. When you get a stopgap like Cam and you watch Brady win a championship, this is when your fan base, this is when people start questioning the genius. And they start turning around to Bill and go, what are you doing? You know, what? there's no plan. There's no future. There's no... It makes sense. And it explains the Cam Newton debacle if you waited it out to get a young guy. It explains the whole Cam Newton situation if you sat back and you were able to wait it out and go, ah, see, I want it to be bad because I knew what I had in my mind. There's no chance he's getting Trevor Lawrence, and the Jets are not going to trade him 
uh, all the way up for Zach Wilson. It's just not not in the cards there. Um, so you could forget those two. Why they're doing their due diligence, you never know. Maybe they fall to three or four, and all of a sudden, here we go. Yeah, we, we, we could grab that. Okay, sure, uh, whatever you want to say. So, I mean, look, that's just reality. I, I'm not buying that. So what we have here is the NFL draft order. Jacksonville, number one. The Jets are two. Miami's three. You can say right now, the Jets in Miami, they are not trading two and three to Bill. Four Atlanta? Oh, that could be intriguing. Five Cincinnati, I would circle with a big, giant black pen because Penny Sewell probably wants to go to see Cincinnati there. But if he's gone, Cincinnati's trading. They already have their quarterback. Philadelphia, Philly's trading. They already got their quarterback. Number seven, Detroit. Detroit's trading. They just got their quarterback. Number eight, Carolina's dangerous. Nine, Denver's dangerous. 10, Dallas, uh, they might have their quarterback. 11, the Giants, they're probably not taking a quarterback. San Fran might. Chargers certainly won't at 13. 14's Minnesota, then New England. So to get one of these top guys, look, Mac Jones could potentially fall to that 12, 13, 14 range. Maybe he's got to move up from 15 to 13 to grab him. Uh, maybe. But if you're looking at Fields and Lance, I think you got to get into this grouping here. I think you have to get into that Atlanta, Cincinnati, Philly, Detroit grouping. You're not getting Trevor Lawrence and the Jets-Houston, which now became the Miami pick. Jets-Miami are not going to trade you the future quarterback in the division. Atlanta might. Cincinnati might. Philadelphia might. And Detroit might. And if you're looking at picks 4, 5, 6, 7, to move back from 4, 5, 6, 7 to 15 is not that bad if they get in a first rounder next year. It's an easy move. I'm doing that all day if I'm Cincy. Doing it all day if I'm Atlanta. Doing it all day if I'm Philly. I'm doing it all day if I'm Detroit. I'm moving back from 6, 5, 4, or or certainly 7 to 15 with a first-round pick. And in that grouping, you're going to have either Lance, guaranteed Lance or Fields. Guaranteed. Because Lawrence is going 1. Wilson, let's just say, goes 2. Fields goes 3. All of a sudden, Trey Lance lands to you with Atlanta at 4. And I don't think 1, 2, 3, and 4 is going to be quarterbacks anyway. So New England making some moves is a little interesting uh, perspective here. Let's let's sit back and go, you know what? Bill might have something up those cutoff sleeves. All right, guys, that's going to do it. Enjoy the early tournaments. Next time we talk, we're going to be talking about selection time. That's right. It's going to be selection Sunday next Sunday. So it's coming. Hot and heavy. March Madness is here. I'm Tom Barton of Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.